The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have with us Esther Orioli. She's the founder and CEO of Essie Systems, which is an organization dedicated to measuring and developing human intelligences at work, a vital topic. She's also creator and author of the EQ map, the stress map, the resiliency map, the 21-day rule, and the 21-day habit creation e-tools, a whole big bundle here. Esther, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. So tell us where you are today. Well, I am in a cold, foggy San Francisco. Ooh. Yes. Where it does get above, uh, oh, I don't know, 62 today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's what they say about summer in San Francisco. All the tourists come thinking it's going to be sunny because it's California. Yeah, you can always they... see them in their shorts and their, uh, you know, wharf sweatshirts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's great for sweatshirt sales. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm glad, really glad to have you here today. Thank you know, you. Esther, you and I met several years ago um, because the work that you do aligns very much with the work I do in executive coaching. Absolutely. And the tools that you have created and have made available to um, people like me and to organizations uh, as a broad audience are so powerful and you know eq otherwise known as emotional intelligence has been getting a lot of attention in the last few years Mm -hmm. um tell us a bit about what got you interested in this whole field you know why why it matters to you Mm -hmm. you know uh, cheryl i started my work uh, professionally in the arena of stress So many, many years ago, we were looking at the dimensions and the factors related to stress, stress mastery, et cetera. And over the years, uh, really, my work in stress could take me nowhere else but to emotional intelligence. Mm. So it was a very natural, you know, kind of progression down this Mm. path. Mm. And as we looked at, you know, what makes people, you know, exceptional when it comes to stress management and stress mastery issues and resiliency issues, it led us directly to emotional intelligence. Now, that path intersected with the path of Dr. Robert Cooper, who was writing a book about emotional intelligence in the workplace. And Robert and I had known each other for many years and had done some work together on the stress side. And his publisher, uh, together with uh, Ayman Sawaf, his co-author, had wanted to have some kind of an assessment inside their book. So in order for that to happen, Robert called and said, you know, what do you think about uh, working with us on this particular kind of a project? So that was really the intersection of our own work. We were moving towards emotional intelligence. Robert entered the scene with Iman, and we then decided to actually create a measure for emotional intelligence, which is one of the you know core competencies here at Essence right. Systems. 
Well, you know, the what, what? What? Why did you care? Why did you care about stress? You know, what was it that attracted you to this field? Well, you know, there's an old saying, or maybe I made it up, <laughs> uh, but, but it goes, you know, you teach what you most need to learn. Mm. And so, you know, in if you look at my own path, my personal path, you know, you'll see that what I choose to get into at any given time uh, is for me. So as I got into the stress field, oh, you know, almost 30 years ago, yeah. uh, there was a way in which I really needed to know how do I harness this energy that is stress without it burning me out. Right. And then as I went along a little farther and was working most heavily at the executive leadership level, you know, what are those components that really uh, set leaders apart? Mm-hmm. So I really had to look at those dimensions. And for me as a leader and as a consultant to leaders, it was really important to walk my you know, walk my talk. Right. So right. EQ for me has been a very personal journey as well as a professional one, and it's really been a hoot. I have to say that I've learned a tremendous amount from my clients and from the work and uh, from interacting with uh, the processes that I've been using around the world. Mm-hmm. So tell us how you define emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Everybody has, you know, a their own little take on what emotional intelligence is. Um, But uh, the definition that that I use is that emotional intelligence is the ability to sense, understand, and effectively apply the power and acumen of emotions as a source of connection, trust, uh, believability, uh, connection, and compassion. So I'm really looking at emotional intelligence as an entity within the human system that will enable us to bring the best of who we are to the table. Most people know what IQ is. So when you say, you know, do you know what your IQ is or do you know what, I, you know, kind of cognitive intelligence is in general, people know that and they point to their heads and they know that it has something to do with head smarts. Well, EQ is the emotional counterpart of that. If there's such a thing as head smarts, then there is such a thing as emotion smarts. And that's what emotional intelligence really is. It kind of takes the best of who we are in terms of our sensing and not just our cognitive self. So the combination between, you know, those big giant brains of ours, that neocortex, and the limbic system intersect in our emotional intelligence selves. We are learning so much about our neurological functioning and how that plays out on a daily basis. Um, You know, why do you think that this part of our being, the emotional intelligence, um, isn't just natural. Why don't we just do this naturally? Well, I think that's the whole point, that it is natural and that it is a part of us from the moment that we're born. I think over time what happens is that we unlearn it. Mm -hmm. So if you think about a a newborn child or even a, a child of two or four years old, that they, have, they are much more aligned and in tune with their wants, their needs, almost like it lives on their skin. Mm-hmm. And then as we get older, we learn, you know, the cultural norms and the mores of the, of the societies in which we live. Right. So, you know, this is acceptable, that's not acceptable, you know. Then, of course, there are all kinds of uh, um, both gender and uh, uh, kind of cultural norms on top of that, yeah. so boys don't cry. You know, little girls, you know, like to play with dolls. I mean, there's all kinds of things that get laid upon us. So we get farther and farther away from not only the sense of our emotional intelligence, but the expression of that emotional intelligence. 
And I think that one of the beautiful things that has happened in the last 10, 15 years that EQ has been around is that we've come to revalue that component of ourselves. So we are now saying, you know what, this is important stuff, that it's not just you know, that big computer in my head that gives me facts and information and knowledge and belief systems, but there's also a way in which my emotional intelligence allows me to connect with people, to establish myself as a human being who's worthy of trust, as someone who can interact with someone else, put, them, put myself in someone else's shoes, have empathy, be able to envision a future, to be innovative, to be able to have new and creative ideas. Those things don't come from just the accumulation and analysis and interpretation of facts. It comes from... You know, our limbic system that allows us to have that creativity and that go-with-the-flow experience in our bodies. So I think the neuroscience, the psychoneurobiology of emotions and change have been one of the contributing factors, although the folks in the science field don't necessarily think that much about the EQ uh, field as, you know, they don't, they're not related to it, you know, as mm. trying to further that concept, yeah. but they have done us a tremendous service because the more that happens with the MRIs, the functional MRIs, and the more we learn about how the brain actually functions, it has been a great service to us in the leadership and emotional intelligence field. So we're learning a tremendous amount about what parts of the brain are stimulated and light up during different kinds of activities and what happens when you can shift in your body from thinking, you know, and I always touch my head, you know, when I do that. I know you can't see me on the radio, but, you know, here I am touching my head. Okay, so what we think versus what we feel, and I always touch my gut when I do that, you know, that we're seeing that there's something more than just a mind-body connection. It's a every cell in your body related to every other cell in your body connection. Well, and it's almost like intuition where we have completely shed our capacity for tapping our intuition mm-hmm. and this is bringing us back to that mm-hmm. you know i always love looking at, at language and the whole intuition uh, word and the, mm-hmm. the words that, uh, the culture that associates it uh, is fascinating to me because for years and years in the workplace you know, intuition was something you didn't really talk much about. Right. Maybe in sports you could talk about it, about your hunch or your gut-level reaction or, you know, your best guess. Mm-hmm. And then when EQ came on the scene, what happened? People started to say, oh, intuition, really being able to understand, you know, that uh, other place that, you know, it's a sense of things, it's an impression one gets. And that became more valued over time as opposed to it being a you know, a, a non-entity in the workplace. Right, right. So when I say, you know, that those kinds of things became more valued, that's one of the things that I'm speaking of, that some of the components and dimensions of emotional intelligence are now seen by leaders all over the world as the most critical component of success in the workplace. I'm wondering if you see any gender differences. You know, they talk about women's intuition. Mm-hmm. We've heard that women have better collaborative skills. We've heard that there's a women's way of leading. We've heard um, that women have higher EQ. Is, does that play out? I mean, do you see that to be true? Well, you know, I think that there are uh, gender differences, and why wouldn't there be? Uh, you know, we have so many ways in which men and women see the world differently, view the world differently, act in the world differently. So, of course, our emotional intelligence is going to be um, slightly 
gender-oriented. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have a measurement device, um, uh, emotional intelligence map, our EQ map, is a statistically reliable, scientifically sound measure of emotional intelligence for a workplace population. And it covers all ages from like 18 to about 72 years old. And so because we have this measurement device, we can actually research that. So are there male-female differences? You know, it's like when we did our stress map, we also have a measurement for stress. And we looked at, you know, stress in the workplace for men and stress in the workplace for women. And this is directly related to the emotional intelligence question you just asked me. So when we say, and the research up until the time that we had come along, had said that there were no differences between men and women and stress in the workplace. Well, that didn't ring true for us. And for me particularly, I kind of, from my observations, my interactions with lots and lots of people, mm, I wanted to look more deeply. So we did a, a study, and we looked at what are the things that are uh, driving men crazy in the workplace, what are the things that are driving women crazy in the workplace that you might label as stress. And here's what we found, that in fact, men and women both experience distress in the workplace. Absolutely true. And in that regard, it was much like what the other research had already shown. Okay? But here's what we found, and I just was fascinated by this that the things that create that distress for women and the things that create that distress for men, creating that distress in the workplace that looks like it's similar, those two things never intersect. So women respond in a particular way. Men respond in a completely different way. Both are experiencing distress in the workplace. So their sources of distress are different, and it's the same thing with emotional intelligence, that there are things on our 20-dimension scale that men do better than women and that women do better than men as a generalization, as a growth, you know, very gross right, generalization. Right, right. That doesn't mean that men cannot do things that women do well, and it does not mean that women can't do things that men do well. It simply means that there's a natural tendency uh-huh. or a cultural bias, hard right. to tell sometimes right, which, right, right, right. Uh, towards uh, acting in a particular way or um, believing things in a certain way. Well, this is fascinating. You know, I wonder then, um, we talk about shaping culture. My mind's going in so many different directions, but talk about shaping culture mm-hmm. and the subtlety of shaping culture. And so when you bring this forward, when you're able to show this to people, um, how then does that affect the culture? I mean, are would people say... Would a woman say, yes, but if I acted that way, if I did this better, that wouldn't be accepted here? Do you ever hear that? Oh, a few thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that has to do with something else. Mm-hmm. And I think what that has to do with is, is what I refer to as kind of the, the male culture and the female culture. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that, you know, women aren't involved in the male culture and that men aren't in the female culture. But if you think about culture as, you know, the established norms about how we do things around here. Right. And if we look at those norms and those, you know, kind of cultural definers, when you're in a workplace environment, um, most of Western, and actually I think globally you could say this, cultures, um, the workplace is generally the male culture. 
it was designed and created initially by by men and is really um, is really built around the male culture and what that means is that the way that males generally do things around here okay? mm-hmm. the way they think the way they act how they create their relationships negotiate contracts the whole thing and then when you have women who come into the workplace and have now for many many years and as we bring who we are because although we can live in the male culture we are from the female culture and a female culture whose domain typically has been you know in the home and with child raising etc that we have a certain norm and cultural way of interacting with our children with our spouses with our households with our friends our communities and our work so we bring that as women as part of the female culture into a male culturally defined environment and therein lies the clash so because men and women do things differently, there often is a devaluing of one or the other based on what culture you're in. Sure, sure. And that really is a a challenge. I think these days there's much more acknowledgement of that. And when we go into a corporation and are working at the highest levels, we don't just design one program for everybody. We have to take into consideration, you know, who are these people? You know, who are the, the, the folks we're going to be working with? What are their goals and intentions within this organization for bringing some kind of an effort like emotional intelligence into the workplace? You know, when we work with these companies, it's very interesting to me because there's not always a clear-cut definition of right. what the goal is. Right, right. You know, oh, well, Esther, you know, this EQ stuff is hot right now, so, you know, come on in and do something. <laughs> I'm sure you get that, right? You know? Oh, we've heard this many yeah. years. Come many on years. in, Cheryl, do your thing, right? Right, right? And I like to say, well, you know, I, I have something I can say. Obviously, I always have something to say. <laughs> but really, what do, you, what do you want to have happen yeah. as a result of bringing this in? Yeah. Okay. Good question for a consultant to ask. Yeah. We have more with Esther Orioli when we come right back. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. You want to know the inside scoop on how today's leaders do business? How they hire and develop top talent? How do they retain top employees and customers? Tune in to Leadership Leverage on the Voice America Business Channel. Every week, Dr. Robert Denker will offer ideas and facilitate discussion with guests that will help shape today's up-and-coming leaders as well as established leaders in their fields. Listen for Leadership Leverage every Tuesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. 
total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for total career success on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we're speaking with Esther Orioli, the founder and CEO of SE Systems. So, Esther, you've been um, acquainting us with the whole world of emotional intelligence and you know, looking at how people actually can get along in organizations in a way that's highly functional. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about EQ, emotional intelligence. Okay. You know, give us some examples of um, what are some of the behaviors, what are some of the, the domains that you focus on or that EQ focuses on in, in these assessments. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's uh, many, many ways to look at emotional intelligence. And the ways that we have looked at uh, EQ or EI, as some people call it, has been in a measurable way. So when we first looked at the subject of emotional intelligence, we had to say, um, so what's it, you know, what's it all about, Alfie? You know, emotional intelligence, uh, what is it really? And I had heard uh, other EQ experts say, you know, people with high EQ are more successful than people with low EQ. I always scratch my head. I want to know, what does that mean, successful? Do they make more money? You know, are they more revered in their communities? Uh, Do their spouses like them for a longer amount of time? Do their kids think they're swell? I mean, what is the success uh, factor when you say that people with high EQ are more successful? So the very first thing that we did with my research team was to determine from the literature and from previous research and from our own databases over the last uh, 27 years, what really are the measures of success when you talk about emotional intelligence? So we built into our measurement what we call outcome measures. So once you take the questionnaire, it's directly related as an integrated metric with five very significant and major domains that are directly related to EQ. One is one's quality of life. So do you wake up in the morning and you put your, your arms around yourself and you say, you know what, I just love my life. Mm. Okay? That's an outcome of emotional intelligence. Mm. Relationship quotient. This has to do with one's ability to love and be loved very purely, mm. not just in a spousal or an intimate way, but really loving other human beings. Okay? Physical and emotional health. We found there's a direct correlation between emotional intelligence and the number of physical and emotional symptoms that one will experience. And lastly, optimal performance. Are you operating at your own known best, okay, not in comparison to other people, but just for yourself? So we have these five outcome measures. And then the four dimensions of emotional intelligence that go before it all equate to these outcomes. We have three major chunks. The one chunk is emotional literacy. 
And just as literacy implies, it's, you know, do you know the ABCs of emotions? Yeah. Okay, so we have a couple scales that measure that. We have a big chunk called competencies. So these are emotional intelligence competencies, these kinds of things that once someone learns it and practices it and masters it or perhaps does it naturally well, that these are the things that kind of uh, buoy you along the way. So you have skills in which you can go and grab them. And then the, the third major part is what we call values and attitudes. This is how you view the world and what you value within it. So we find that these three components of emotional intelligence are directly related to the outcomes. So what do these things sound like? Here's a couple of scale names just to kind of wrap your minds around it. Mm -hmm. Under the competency uh, areas, and competencies are skills. We use those words interchangeably. You have skills like the skill of resiliency, creativity, intentionality, constructive discontent, and direction vision. Okay, so these are things that people learn and can master and then use during times of pressure and strain. Okay? Under the values and attitudes section, we have scales that are called like positive outlook. So is the glass half empty? Is the glass half full? Right? Personal power. This is one's ability to define themselves from the inside out, not the outside in. Okay? The opposite of personal power is kind of this helpless, hopeless victimization place. Right. You know, so you really get a chance to see, do I see things as opportunities and that I can control what I do control, or do I have a lot of uh, giving up or trying to control the uncontrollable? Mm -hmm. okay. uh, trust radius. Trust is a huge factor when we talked about values and attitudes within emotional intelligence. And trust isn't about, you know, determining who out there is trustworthy. It's about looking inside here and saying, you know, how far outside my center do I trust other people, you know, from uh, the closest to me to the person I see on a bus? You know, can I trust myself enough, feel safe enough within myself to smile at that person on the bus, for example? Do I have enough um, uh, personal internal uh, strength to be able to interact with strangers and still have a good sense of myself? You know, it's a very interesting scale. And I do this one exercise with leaders, if I might tell you about it. And it's called the trust radius exercise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ask people to draw a circle on a piece of paper and then just put the initials in there of anybody that you trust unconditionally. And, of course, you know, they'll look at you like, well, what does unconditional mean? And uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yes, yes, I know. Just unconditional, whatever that means to you, just kind of go mm -hmm. with it. Just put the initials. You're not going to share this. So just put the initials of anybody that you trust unconditionally in the circle. I give them a few minutes, and then I say, now put a check mark next to anybody who you also work with. Hmm. And then they look at you like, well, I don't have anybody in there that has a check mark. Okay? And it's a very rich conversation to say, well, why not? You know, you spend, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week with these people at work, and there's not one person there who you would trust with your car keys or maybe your PIN number to your checking account or, I don't know, something that might be a little risky. So it's a very interesting exercise. Unfortunately, many, many uh, people have two people in their circles. Right. Yeah. You know, like a best friend and their spouse, maybe. Wow. Okay. So it's a very interesting uh, way to really see, you know, how able are you to trust yourself in putting yourself out there into the world and to interact and, re and uh, connect with people. 
And so as I hear this, I think about, you know, yes, they're spending all these hours, they're making critical decisions about huge organizations which affect many, many lives because people work for them, people are customers of them, of these organizations, and so these decisions are huge. And, And if they are in a situation where they're not feeling total trust and they're not willing to be vulnerable, that means they're not willing to make mistakes and they're not willing to necessarily be creative or even raise their hand when they say when they think this is a stupid idea why are we doing this exactly exactly and and so it it makes you shake your head doesn't it like you know so what are we doing with all of our life energy in the workplace (laughs) (laughs) if we're just containing it you know but the the constructive discontent uh, aspects of emotional intelligence let me just give our our listeners a, a little understanding of what that is you know constructive discontent uh, this particular scale is what we call the rock the boat scale. Mm. And it's one of the ones over and over and over again that when we do team maps, you know, so these composites of emotional yeah. intelligence for groups, um, it's something that comes up over and over and over again. I, speak, I think it speaks directly to this point that we're, we're making right here. Mm. And, and that is that we don't like to rock the boat. We don't like to say, I disagree with that or my thinking tells me something a little different for fear that somehow people will take it personally or you're going to start some kind of an internal uh, you know, conflict of some sort. So you have a lot of this. You have a lot of people who sit at a staff meeting or a project meeting, and the leader gets up and goes, okay, kids, we're going to do it like this, rah, 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 let's go, right? And everybody just goes, mm-hmm, uh-huh, and then we go along because nobody's going to rock the boat. Nobody's going to say, um, hmm. So when it comes to being able to get people to invest in a project, in an effort or something, it's really critically important that you hear from every single person on both sides of the camp. So you want to say, uh, tell me, okay, as you hear this project, I want all of us to use our collective uh, brain power and all of our knowledge and skill and our experience and tell me all the ways in which this is not going to work. And then you can switch over and you can say, now I want us to use all that capacity and all that brain power and all that experience and all that history and tell me all the ways in which it can work. So instead of saying which of you agree and which of you disagree, you get each person to say, here's the downside, here's the upside, and keep people invested in the project as opposed to the camp that they might find themselves in. So the constructive discontent scale is a pretty fun one, and we often get people to do um, uh, new uh, habit creation based on based on that thing. Well, and and so part of the work that you do is about changing habits. It is about um, not only um, knowing you know what your strengths are, what areas are challenge challenges for you, but um, what can you do about that? Mm-hmm. And also what I find is that when I use this tool, the level of self-awareness begins to shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that is just because of a basic understanding. You mm-hmm. know? Some people say, gosh, I just didn't even know that about myself, and now I can watch for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's really a wonderful way to create an opening in someone to begin to build a different habit. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you bring a smile to my face, Cheryl. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is exactly what we had hoped would happen when people just take an assessment. You know, if you think about it as the kind of the lowest touch with the highest impact, taking the assessment, particularly the, the way the scales are created, you know, they're all worded positively, they're done on a continuum, so you can plot yourself, you know, from resilient to rigid, so it's not one is not good person and the other is bad person. It's just, you know, a preferential style. And so as we're, we're looking at these components, we get the opportunity to, to really have people see things differently. Whenever we add another component to it, and I have to say that, you know, I spend my entire professional career creating these statistically reliable assessments, right? And then we use them with our clients, et cetera. And for years, uh, my clients would say something like this. Well, gee, Esther, this is pretty nice, uh, but, you know, what do we do now? <laughs> or what's next? Or so what? Uh-huh. Okay, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, now I have to come up with the behavior change side of it. Oh. So I did. So in 1989, I had a model I was using that I'd created around behavior change, and it was about 24 to 26% effective. And statistically, that's sound and all that sort of thing. But I wanted it higher. You know, how do you get these numbers up? How do you actually help people to make the change even when they say they want to? And so we started a series of uh, experiments and uh, some research that really looked at what are the components that help people make change. Then along the the road comes the new brain science stuff. Mm -hmm. And then that just cemented the entire process. So for the last 15 years or so, we've been using a model called the 21-day rule. And 21-day rule enables someone to actually have not just the the what should I change, but the how do I do it part. Mm-hmm. So 21-day rule basically says that if you do something every day for 21 consecutive days, days in a row, for five minutes a day or even just one time a day, that that's enough for the brain to create neural connections that will allow that behavior to be permanent and automatic. Okay, now this flies in the face of almost everything they've taught us about how we make change. So to say one thing, so every day for 21 days, at least once, I'll express appreciation to someone I care about. Hmm. Okay, now that sounds so simple. How could that possibly do anything? And that's the pushback we get from our uh, leaders very often. And I say, well, you know, you've done it the other way. Why don't you try it this way? (laughs) And let's see if anything happens. Mm-hmm. And then on day 21, they come back with their stories, okay? So some examples, uh, every day for 21 days, I did this with a bunch of uh, police chiefs, actually. I taught them the 21-day process, and uh, uh, this one captain came back and said, every day for 21 days, I will tell my wife I love her, okay, at least once. And so it meets all the criteria, it meets the Gatawana factor, which has to be there come back on day 21, well, how did it go with expressing appreciation? How did it go with telling your wife you love her? And people are just astounded that doing one little thing every day for five minutes a day or one time a day actually becomes something that by day 18 for many people is something they don't think about anymore. Oh, wow. And the police captain, of course, was a little worried because his wife became so suspicious. (laughs) Why are you telling me you love me every day? (laughs) 
Well, she, well, I, I'm, know, I'm sorry <laughs> for her that he didn't already do that, but you know. he, he didn't. He didn't. But, but you bring of... up a good point, though, about when people begin to change behavior, whether it's somebody you know saying "I love you" or it's just somebody you work with who's shifting behavior. Um, there often is that kind of response, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. just like you know, "Who are you? Why are you doing this?" Instead mm-hmm. of welcoming it. And what have you done with my old boss? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I so have actually had. I have actually had. This is really hysterical. I have actually had clients who've made huge shifts and who have, um, you know, really um, managed to evolve hugely over a few months um, throughout the co- through the coaching. And yeah. we've actually had a couple of times where people have said. I kind of like the old one better because I knew when he was going to yell at me. You know, oh. now, now, now I'm not sure, but he hasn't yelled yet, and and I keep thinking he will. So it's really interesting, you know. People mm-hmm. just don't. They don't like. Is it that they don't like change? Is that what it is? I mean, I think it's a combination of things. You know, change is a pain. I mean, there's just no there's no way around that. Mm. Even even change you want to make. You know, right. I mean, like losing right. weight or, you know, getting healthier so that right. your heart will be, you know, more healthy. Those things are hard to do. Right. And it, it's, it's one of those things where not only is it difficult to do, but we haven't had the right system, okay, for making change. Mm. So every year, you know, 1st of January, everybody makes their New Year's resolutions. You know, they get to, what, day six, day seven, and then they feel like complete failures. Right. You know, so, and they join the gym and they spend the money and they do all the things they're going to do, and then it's hard to keep that momentum because they're using a model that isn't really set up to help the brain create the new habits. Now, once you already have those new habits, it's easy to go to the gym. Right. So we created this system based on what we call the three driving forces of habit creation. Well, I'm going to have you hold that thought. Okay. And when we come back, we'll talk about those three driving forces of habit creation. We'll be right back. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting. Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology. 
strategy and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with Esther Orioli today. So, Esther, you were just about to jump right into the three driving forces of habit creation. Go. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, you know, we we had to really look at, you know, not just what is the model for habit creation, but what are the forces that drive behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so we found that there are three things that really can drive uh, performance and uh, behavior change. The first one is using some kind of an assessment or a measure as a reliable starting point for change. So very often our leaders will have feedback from their employees or from their customers and clients. Sometimes you have a supervisor's review. Sometimes the doctor tells you what you need to change, et cetera. So having some kind of a, a baseline. So you need a starting place. You can use EQMAP or any kind of assessment. And that becomes the, the jumping-off point. That's a really critical component for being able to say, here's where I am and here's where I want to go. The second driving force is what we call the Gatawana. Now, the Gatawana is a really critical component for continuous change. If you go through all the motions of 21-day rule and you write a statement of commitment, you say every day for 21 days, I will, and you get through all the guidelines, the most important component are the two questions. One, do you want to do it? Now, you'd be surprised how many people get through the whole process and they're standing up in front of you and they've read their statement of commitment and you say, do you want to do it? And they're like, hmm, well, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> you know, I go, eh, sit down. Okay, that's <laughs> you know, commitment for you. <laughs> because if you don't want to do it, I can tell you it's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. So then they rewrite it or they say, oh, I'm just kidding or whatever. And mm-hmm. Okay, so do you want to do it? And they say, yes. Okay, so that's one component. The second question is, will you take full power and full responsibility for your actions? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to do it, but there are too many things outside your control or you're just not ready to do that, again, you will not succeed. Right. So the Gatawana is the second driving force. Mm-hmm. And the third driving force is the radical notion that self-interest is the foundation for continuous learning. Now, what does that mean exactly? There has to be something in it for me. I can't do it because my boss wants me to do it or my spouse or my teachers or whomever, you know, my parents. I have to do it because it's good for me. Mm 
mm-hmm. and that as I do it for me, things change in my life, and I can see that I'm down a path or I'm doing things that will really serve me in some way. So we took those three driving forces and created a measure, change, learn model that follow those three driving forces. Mm. Okay. Then we put the whole darn thing online. So, you know, what if someone doesn't want to talk to me or a coach or someone about what's going on in their lives? How can they still make change? Mm-hmm. So we created something called 21 Day Club. It's www.21dayclub.com, very simple. And you would just go there, and the first question it asks you is, you know, what do you want to change today? Mm-hmm. And you can put anything you want in that box. I want to lose oh. 10 pounds. I want to have a better quality of life. I want to be more adaptable. I want to stop biting my fingernails. I want to have more quality time with my kids. I want to clean out the garage. I want my mother to stop nagging. You know, you can put whatever you want to in that box, and then it just takes you right along to a process where you can do for 21 days in a very short amount of time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you've made it very accessible for people, whether or not they're inside organizations or in leadership roles. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they can use so, it for a whole year, right? So you can do a change something, go back and measure it again. Oh, okay. Change it, go back and measure it again. So it's a it's a constant back and forth between. Mm-hmm. So where am I now? You know, we call it kind of just in time change, right? There you go. <laughs> so you don't want to pick, you know, the five things you're going to do this year. You want to pick the one thing you're going to do for the next three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to measure it again. You can say, what's the next thing I want to do for the next three weeks? Right. Because things are integrated. So when you change one little part of your life, numbers of other things change. So if you set up your five goals from the onset, more than likely two or three of them will also be impacted by the one thing that you would be working on for the 21 days. Mm-hmm. So. So, you know, when I think about leaders in organizations and um, the amount of change that they go through, mm-hmm. and yet over time, often what I observe is that they keep approaching change in the way they've done for the past however many years they've been in their field or been in, in leadership roles, you know, 10, 15 five, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. they don't shift the way they approach change, yeah. and so they don't often get um, stellar results. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it sounds to me like um, you know, being able to pay attention to themselves, being able to take responsibility for themselves, being able to develop this level of self-awareness, either through the EQ or the stress map or the 21-day, um, can only help them do that. That's correct. And, you know, um, the late, great Peter Drucker, uh, you know, management guru who for, you know, three decades of his life, you know, taught people how to be bosses. Mm-hmm. In the last uh, five years or so of his life, people said, so, you know, Mr. Drucker, old management guru, uh, what would you do differently than what you've done for your mm-hmm. professional career? And he said, I would no longer teach people how to be bosses. Oh, wow. And uh, it's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you do? And he said that your foremost job as a leader is to first take control of your own energy and then to orchestrate the energy of others. Wow. That's what he said is the most critical thing. Yeah. And that's where the EQ piece just fits so wonderfully in there. I mean, even getting leaders at, to become aware of their own levels of energy and their own levels of attention at any given moment will help them to get a 
a barometer reading of what's going on with themselves and their groups. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we look at, you know, your current level of energy, your current level of attention. Where are you now? Okay, not being in your head and how you solved this problem the last time it came up and it worked. Okay, because all situations are not the same. Mm-hmm. So we teach leaders really to be interactional leaders as opposed to anything else. If you can, you know, stay in the present and you can pay attention to what's going on, information coming in from various sources, your best guess of things, things that happened that worked in the past, things that didn't, you know, asking for your uh, impressions around how things are going to flow. Those are how decisions get made these days. It takes a very what? special kind of person. Why do you think that's so hard? You know, um, I don't think it's any mystery at all why it's so hard. You know, it's, it's, it's a way in which... We have learned in our lives, and, and I'll just speak, you know, a little personally here. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was first getting into this work, and I was just thinking about, you know, how to how to do all of this, right? How to be an interactional leader, how to listen without all the judgments that go on in your own head, and all this sort of thing. Um, I had to really explore that, and I remember being on a panel one time at an international EQ conference in South Africa. And the moderator, who was a good buddy, had uh, turned a question uh, on me that I had often asked of other EQ experts. And he said, so Esther, if you teach what you most need to learn, what are you learning from emotional intelligence? Mm. And I thought, what a great question, even if it was Mm. my own. (laughs) (laughs) Because obviously I have to be getting something for what I'm putting into the work. And what I had said to him in the audience at the time is that, you know what? I grew up as a person who had uh, uh, success around book learning, right? So I was pretty good at being able to get good grades, and I was always considered smart. You know, I can do verbal banter, that sort of thing. But what I said to him was that it was easier for me, this is my observation, it was easier for me to be smart than it was for me to be present. So when I'm present, I have to put, my judgments, my opinions, etc., kind of on hold. Because what I want to do is to be open to what's happening in the moment. And that's a very difficult thing to do, to not be in the past, not be in the future, not be thinking what I'm going to say next, you know, in terms of how I'm going to debate that particular point or topic. Mm-hmm. And so just to be here now is a pretty difficult thing. We have to relearn it. Well, that makes emotional intelligence a vital component of leadership. It, it definitely does. You know, it's the true stuff of success, and business leaders around the world have embraced it as such. Hmm. So if you were to um, provide words of wisdom for leaders listening today, mm-hmm. what would you want to make sure they walked away with? I think it would definitely be to know thyself. If I were to take a, a group of people who were potential leaders, as I often do, and say, you know, is it important to have vision and direction and all the things that we talk about in terms of, you know, leadership? Yes. But think about how you learn and how you affect other people. I would say that the more you can be in touch with where you are, what motivates you, have an opportunity for self-reflection after an interaction, to have intentionality before something happens or before a meeting to actually say, what do I want to have happen? Mm -hmm. To constantly deal with the process as opposed to just the content. Think about, you know, 
how people are feeling in a room. Use your body as a barometer or a measure of the mood or the atmosphere so that you can get a sense of, is this tense? Is this fun? Is this creative? Are people open? Are people closed? Because it gives you great ammunition as a leader to negotiate, to be able to present new ideas, to be able to instill some kind of uh, inspiration and leadership in your people, because you know how to be real and to be present. So that's what I would say is know thyself and really be present. That's a very important message and, you know, one that I think people are beginning to understand. Mm-hmm. I my belief is that um, a lot of leaders around the world hold this to, this belief personally and are challenged to carry it out in mm-hmm. the workplace. Yeah. I think that that's true. And, you know, with many of our clients, of course, the ones who are working with us are the enlightened ones. Right. You yeah. know, so they already know the value mm-hmm. of emotional intelligence in how we, you know, build our customer base and deliver exceptional services and products and create innovative product ideas and new, understand market trends and come up mm-hmm. with, you know, the latest and greatest that the consumers want. Those are all EQ-based, not IQ-based at all. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, Esther, it's been great having you here today. I know people are going to want to know more about this, so how can they get in touch with you? You can give a call to my office. We're in San Francisco at 415-252-8224 or find us on the web at essysystems.com. E-S-S-I-Systems.com. That's correct. It's been great talking with you today, Esther. Thanks for being here with us. Cheryl, what fun. Thanks so much. Yeah, wonderful. Now, remember, everyone, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.